Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. Happy New Year and all that. It's a, it's a strange thing, actually. I was out for a couple of uh, pre-Christmas Diet Cokes with a couple of people, and one of them uh, sent me a text and said, uh, he said, just spending time with you, he said, oh, I, f- I, f- I feel you, you're going home in your new ministry, you know, everything you've done, you're sort of going home. And I think that's, that just feels like that to me, even coming in yesterday and bodging in today through the traffic in Stockport, what a joy, listening to Bethel trying to overcome it, didn't work. <laughs> But uh, but it's just it just feels like a, a really amazing thing, and it, it is truly uh, humbling and honouring to be taken up this role. So and thank you, you know, for such a, a warm welcome. I'm going to show you a, a picture I, I sent Daniel earlier this morning. Uh, that is a new mate of mine. It was the last person I baptised in 2015. I'll tell you a little story about him was a serious weed user for probably about 12 years, like massively. And, and he was going out with this girl who, who came to Christ and started coming to the church we planted 15 months ago. And um, we sort of invited him to church. The first time he came was actually a baptismal service. And he was so freaked out by the whole thing. I think he was stoned as well, to be honest with you. But he was so freaked out. He came in and he sat through one song and he actually ran off down the road. He actually went, he actually ran down the length of the Chatsworth Road. He just like didn't stop and didn't come back. And then it took him another couple of months and he came in and gradually he would sort of, he'd have a joint outside the school where we meet and he'd pluck up courage to come in for a brew and then he would sort of leave again. Eventually he started sitting through worship and, you know, a little bit longer. Then he'd sit through some teaching and then I thought, oh, I'll, I'll try and give him some work because he was in and out of work. So, I employed him to do some work in my garden, and uh, the first day he was meant to turn up, he turned out two hours late, which I hate that, I really get annoyed by that, and he turned up late, and I said, what's going on, he went, oh, I was in the nick, because I vandalized the snooker table, you know, just like everything about him is like, how'd you get arrested for vandalizing the snooker table, you know, and he said, I thought it was a pool table, and I went, no, what's going on, anyway, so the bloke said he's a disaster, he's, seriously, he was a disaster, and um, eventually, um, I, I said to him, well, look, we need to spend some time chatting about the Lord. You know, you need the Lord to sort your life out. Because he actually said to me, look, my girlfriend wants to dump me. I've been banned from going around our house by her parents. He said, I keep losing jobs. Um, I thought, I'm not surprised it's two hours late. You know, and nothing's working out. And I said, I said, I've only got one answer. I'm a one-trick pony. I've actually got that, I think, on one of my social media profiles, one trick pony. So I've got one answer for you, you need the Lord. You need Jesus. I've got nothing else to give you, but you can do that. So I want to talk to you about him. So he arranged the time to talk to him about Jesus. Didn't turn up. So then we're coming to the Sunday. It's cut a long story short, where there's a baptismal service in the evening. And, and I said to him, I want to talk to you in the morning, on the Sunday morning about the Lord. Didn't turn up. So here's the thing. On the Sunday morning, at the end of church, I grab his girlfriend, uh, her best friend, and I said, we're going to pray now. It's the Lord today. But I've had enough. Do you ever get this point? He's wound up by people who don't know the Lord. So I'm right angry with him. 
So we held hands. We literally held hands in the church. And I said, right, Jesus, give us a conversation today about you. And may he bend his knee to you today and, and, and find you today. So everyone's looking at me while I'm praying. I'm, come on. And we said, amen. And they're sort of going, amen. I mean, oh, come on, let's put your heart in it. Amen. They're going, yeah, all right, amen, yeah. So then I sent him a text. And the text said, I'm going to be at the church where we're born a church of baptismal service. I'm going to be at this church at four o'clock setting up for service at six. I want you to meet me at half past four because I want to talk to you about Jesus, mate, exclamation mark. No reply for an hour. Then I get one word, okay. Turns up at five, true to form. Turns up an hour before the service. He walked into me. I'm, I'm sitting there in the church, and he walked up to me. This is amazing. And he said, first thing, I've not smoked anything. I want you to know that what I'm about to say to you, I've thought about and I'm not stoned. Okay. I don't believe there's a God. I think Jesus is a myth. So I think it's all rubbish. And actually, I don't even care. That's a good start to an evangelistic conversation, isn't it? I don't even care about it. He said, I'm not even bothered that I don't care. That's the reality. So, you know, you sit there and you think, oh, I need, need a little bit of wisdom. I need a little bit of Holy Spirit wisdom. So I just said to him, I think you're lying. And he went, why? I said, because you're here. If you didn't care, you wouldn't be here. We then enter into 45 minutes of conversation. Now, you will get to know me over time that I'm really tetchy about things being organized and I don't like being late for stuff so I've got all these people trying to be baptized I've got 15 minutes to go I'm still talking after 45 minutes now I'm getting aggravated inside so I'm getting a bit tetchy about the service coming up so I just said to him what on earth is going to give us a breakthrough and he said I need to experience God I said hold on 45 minutes ago you're saying there is no God he said I've changed your mind now he said, I think I was just being a bit argumentative. Okay. So the band's now playing. So I said, we need to go in the stairwell because it's too noisy. So we're standing in the stairwell of this old church that leads to an upstairs rickety bit. And I said, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that you, you meet the Lord. And the way I'll do that is I'm going to lay hands on you, on your head or something. And I'm going to pray to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you okay with that? He went, you're right. So he's one of these guys where he's just staring at me like that. He's looking at me. He's like, he's like a little muppet, isn't he? He's like staring at me like, like this. So I think, I laid hands on his head and I went, Holy Spirit, you've got to touch it. I mean, inside he's going, come on, do something. Just laid hands on him and said, Holy Spirit, would you come? And he, his face literally changed from grinning at me like that to bursting into tears. Just bursting into tears. I said, what's happening? He went, I think I just experienced the Lord. <laughs> I, I mean, seriously remarkable. So I called his, we're now 10 minutes from the service. So I'm getting a little bit tetchy inside, even though he's just 
he's just been saved from hell for eternity. I'm still going to be wound up that the meeting's in 10 minutes' time. So <laughs> called his girlfriend up, and they prayed a beautiful prayer together, uh, holding hands. And then he looked at me and he said, would you baptize me? I said, well, I need to ask you some questions. I said, I need you to look at me and I'm going to ask you some questions. I said, I'm going to say something. You need to just listen to what I'm saying. So I believe God made the heavens and the earth. I believe he made you. And I believe he loves you and he's got a plan for you. But you're messed up. You're a disaster. And he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And all your disasters are put on him. And then he rose again after three days and set you free. And the peace you're experiencing now is because Jesus died and rose again. Do you understand me? And he went, I understand you. And just broke down again. He said, I want this. Will you baptize me? I said, well, this is what baptism means. Got my Bible out, Romans 6. Read it to him. You die and you're raising again. It's rooted in the Bible with him. I said, and if you do this, you need to sit with me regularly. We're going to study the word together. Anyway, long story short, we baptized him. It was the most amazing and and, uh, staggering experience to see him just looking different. And even now, so we're now two and a half months on, and he, and, he, and he looks different. And he, he's like, he's full of joy. You know, and he's, he says, I can't, I, he says, I can't stop smiling and laughing. And, and he's a different guy. Like, it was real. And that amazed just in those moments. I mean, 45 minutes previously, he's saying, there is no God and I don't care. And then suddenly he experiences the power of God. I was reflecting on that as I come into this role. As I think about things I've experienced here in the past and things I've said to you when I've spoken at prayer days about going into battle, about seeing people saved. And I was thinking about the warfare that existed in that little story. And I felt that that was, a, that was to me, the Lord giving me a micro story of a national picture, really. And, and the best way I can explain it is by looking at some very well-known verses from Nehemiah. I, I just felt this might be a little word for us at the start just holding the picture in our heads this this guy that was stubborn he was broken and then we prayed into it and we to be honest we hunted him down with a gospel and then we saw him beautifully restored he's a micro picture of what could be a national story for us a growing national story now i am a little nothing you'll learn about me i'm a little bit retro when it comes to the bible and I'm currently using the New American Standard Version because I, I love the majesty of the language. I just Sometimes it's just, it's just good to read something that's a little bit, it's got like a nobility to it. I know the message and stuff can be great, the Bible message thing, but sometimes I like to read the, just see the honour and nobility that comes with some of the old school language. So just bear with me. This is Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to read a couple of different chunks. Then I'm just going to lay something out before you. Now, you know the story of Nehemiah. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down. Nehemiah is in an area called Susa. He's under a king called King Artaxerxes. He's a cupbearer. That probably is a highly trusted role, but it's also an expendable role in that he would be testing the wine to see if it's poisoned or not. Uh, death benefits and pension benefits, not so good, but he got a, a good meal for doing it, I would imagine. It was a sort of an honorable position. And this is what happened. The words of Nehemiah. And now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers and some men from Judah came. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. They said to me, the remnant there in the province 
who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I, and I love this prayer in this old language. I said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the son of Israel, which you've sinned against you. I am my father's house of sin. And so this beautiful prayer goes on. I beseech you. I'm calling out to you day and night. See, it's got this agony that the walls of Jerusalem are broken down. I'm reading this over the last couple of days thinking, I wonder if I've got this agony inside me that people are going to hell across our nation, that there is still poverty, there are still kids coming out of school who can't read and write. There's still people going into their 30s, 40s, 50s whose life is a disaster. People in Scotland on the estate there who are hearing stories that their life expectancy is 52, 53. I wonder if we're in agony about that. Now, you can't make yourself be in agony about that, but I, I, I wonder if in a movement like this, to use the imperative, we should be, because that's the mandate that's upon us. We're almost like a... a dare I say it, almost a, a, a movement that whilst we rejoice and we have lots of laughs, we mourn and weep over the brokenness and lostness that's in our nation. And we fast into it and we pray into it. And then something staggering happens. Just to briefly run through it, the, in chapter 2, Nehemiah's prayer is answered and the king, who's an enemy king, gives him safe passage to go and inspect the walls. In, in chapter 2, he inspects the walls. He he, he goes and does a little strategic run-through. He goes around and surveys it. And then in chapter 3, by chapter 3, he's got a strategy. And then something amazing happens in chapter 3. It's all hands on deck. Everyone's involved. Um, verse 6 of chapter 3. Jorida, the sons of Pision, Meshulam, the son of Bedoya, repaired the old gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors. Next to them were others, a big load list of names. But look at this here, verse 8. Next to him, Uziel, the son of Harawai, of the goldsmiths, made repairs. And next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs. A bloke who makes nice smells is doing DIY. It's interesting. And then you, you move on, and there are daughters working alongside fathers. Everyone is involved. And so it goes on. Then they... They have opposition. In chapter 4, they're ridiculed and mocked for having a go. I thought that, that could be so prophetic for us. You start to do stuff that breaks the mold, people have a little go. Start to laugh at you. That's a crazy idea. I mean, I've been around the block enough in national leadership to know that sometimes I've walked into a room and people stop talking because I've come up with some crazy idea. I've had that a few times. I mean, even coming here, one or two people say, what, what, what are you doing that for? You should be running your own thing. Why are you doing that? Interesting. Mockery often follows the work of God. It just does. You have to be prepared for it. Hold your nerve. 
keep your head. Uh, and then, then, the, and then the, the, the opposition gets physical and violent. So as you read this stream, you haven't got time now, you'll see that at some points they've got spears in one hand and shovels in the other. Having to fight and work, all hands on deck. And then this amazing thing happens. In chapter 6, verse 15, despite all the opposition and the tasks that were set before them, which seemed to be impossible, the war was completed on the 25th day of the month of Ulul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence. For they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Despite all the mockery, all the opposition, there was a miracle. In 52 days, they rebuilt the wall. And no one could quite believe it. I wonder if in the middle of it, on like day 20, they realize they'd get it done in 52 days. Probably not. It's a miracle of prayer and action. I wonder if we all look back in five years and go, wow, how did that happen? How did that happen? We, we were on four and a half, five million. Now we're on 20 million. How did that happen? We, we had 42 Eden teams, now we've got 200. How did that even happen? 200, do you hear me? How did that even happen? How did that happen? We were having 20-odd academy graduates. There's 100 coming through. We're in multiple locations. Oh, there's drug rehab happening. We've got job clubs happening. We've got enterprise centers in five places. How did that, how did that even happen? And Joe will say, we go, don't know. It's the Lord. And they'll stop laughing. They'll stop laughing that we jog close to the edge financially every month. They'll see that we're a bunch of people on a mission who had a go. Nothing ever happened to a bunch of people who didn't have a go, right? This is what I felt the Lord say to me as I looked at this. The problem became a prayer. The prayer became a vision. The vision became a strategy. The strategy led to all hands being on deck. All hands being on deck led to a glorious story of a miracle prayer and action. And then Ezra read the law and he brought them back to the word of God in chapter 8. And they started to weep before the Lord. He said, don't weep or mourn because the joy of the Lord is your strength. So we are joyful. Not skipping along like weirdos, but we are joyful all the way through the story. When the going gets tough and we're... You know, it's getting a little bit flappy because there's no money. Or there's opposition. We go, it's okay, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The tougher it gets, the more we sing. The more we jump about like loonies before the Lord. The tougher it gets, the more we pray. The more we push into the word of God. The more we get on our knees. Not when it's good, when it gets tough. And then we have the 52-day miracle story. Wow. How did that even happen? And I really want you to know this as I come into this role. I really, really, this is so important. All hands are on deck. It doesn't matter whether you're repairing a puncture, shredding a bit of paper, changing a light bulb, sweeping up, making a cup of tea for a visitor. It don't matter what you're doing. Every bit of it contributes to the whole. 
Every single bit is part of our missional activity. Do not ever think that you've got a thankless task here. Everything is contributing to us being a movement. Every little piece. We do everything that we do with excellence. Everything. All of it for the Lord. If we do the tiniest little job with the right heart, and we do it with beauty in our hearts, for excellence for the kingdom, the tiniest little job, repairing a lock, I don't care what it is, photocopying a bit of paper, the tiniest thing, God will honour us in the bigger things. That is a word for you, I'm telling you. Do everything with honour in the smallest things, you will honour us in the big things. The problem becomes a prayer. The nation's broken, we pray. The prayer will become a vision. We've got a vision at the moment. It's going to get bigger. I wouldn't be if I didn't believe that. I'm here to help us all accelerate stuff under the bus. So I'm here to do. The vision becomes a strategy. And it will be an audacious one. The strategy leads to all hands on deck. All hands on deck leads to a nation that's one for Christ. In the most broken places. Happy New Year. That's what we're about. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams.